Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. This is a league of A's and B's. It's green and red and gold and black and blue. This is a league with two official languages and many unofficial languages. It's East versus West, Wheat versus Iron, Love versus Hate. This is a league where superstars are extraordinary and ordinary at the same time. It's a league of ice, of fog, of mud, and wind. And for one Sunday in November, it's the nation's glue. This is a league as diverse as a country, a league of Jacksons, Kwongs, Johnsons, Moscas, O'Shea's, and Haji Razulis. This is his league, his league, her league, their league, and their league. It's my league, and it's your league. This is our league. Welcome to the 55-yard line, coming to you virtually from the football capital of the American South of Birmingham, Alabama, and the French-Canadian corridor of Illinois in the shadow of the Sears Tower. We are Scott and Greg, and this is our podcast premiere here on the Sports History Network, uh, where we want to give special thanks to George Washington at voevolution.com for that very inspiring intro that he recorded for us. If you need a quality introduction like you just heard, please go to VOEvolution.com. And not only are we a client, but George is a, a close personal friend of mine who I went to high school with. So I can definitely vouch for his work. And also he is, and again, I might be going a little off topic as we start the show, but if you, have, if you, if you know you've heard that voice before, heard that voice elsewhere before, he's also uh, the Green Lantern on DC Universes Online. So... And equally special thanks to Arnie Chapman and Sports History Network for letting us be part of the SportsHistoryNetwork.com team. I am Greg, and on our premiere episodes, I'm talking here with Scott about his book, The Home Team, My Bromance with Off-Brand Football. And uh, with that said, Scott, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, Greg. How are you, sir? Good, good. Well, I see that we are recording after the <laughs> initial take on this with... Midway in, I'm like, wait a minute, we're not recording. Oh, damn, start over. So that's yeah, actually it, good though, because we should start out poorly and then get better as we go along. Well, that's true. That's true. And I listen to a lot of talk radio here in Chicago. And actually, that's a lot better than a lot of the intros that some of the yeah. uh, some of the talk radio shows, at least the ones I used to listen to, that are no unfortunately no longer on the air, 
they had some wacky openings. So, and we'll at some point as we as we go into these podcast episodes on different topics, we are going to talk about voices and football voices and radio and all that. But we're here to talk books today, you know, but with Scott and his, and his book. But, you know, as we go along in these, you know, as we're going to be going along here in the podca- in podcast land, we're going to be talking football, football books, football pop culture, football hobbies. That's another thing uh, Scott and I have, uh, as we have kick- kicked around what we should talk about on a podcast, there are a lot of topics that aren't covered by other football podcasters. So we want to be able to, in our podcast, kind of talk more about the other things out there regarding football as it relates to hobby history. And like I said, pop culture and, you know, memories. Scott and I are both children of the seventies and eighties. So for us, football has a very, very deep meaning. And Scott is a retired sports writer down in Alabama and down in South Carolina. So uh, and me, myself, I am, uh, I am just a football crazy retired Navy officer. So Scott, did I miss anything? No, I believe you covered everything. So we're done. And that was a great opening episode. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's a nice day here in Chicago and I know it's an, it's probably a nice day down where you're at. It's been, it's been very, it's, I think the high today was 73 and it was clear. So it's absolutely it is perfect football weather up here. What's your temp? Uh, I was 60s last I checked. Yeah, that, that yeah. is. It was. It, it feels like a fall day, though we got snow coming on Tuesday. So, hmm. which is also perfect football weather, too, if you ask me. But so football in the snow is, is good. It is. It is. But I've been, I've played in games, went back in high school where, you know, it, it was single digits. That's not fun. I'll take hot weather any day. <laughs> so. All right. Well, let's get rolling here. Let's talk about your book. And for those of you who are listening to the podcast and have not read Scott's book, let me just kind of kind of tell you what it's all about. Um, Scott, after he retired, set about writing a book about growing up, about his time in Birmingham. He's in South Carolina now and he's moving back soon to Birmingham. So our intro, uh, him being in Birmingham, he is in his heart still in Birmingham. Absolutely. Right I'm a Birmingham boy. So. And uh, so his book is about pro football in Birmingham. Going all the way back to your foot, your book starts off with the World Football League. For And for many of those listening, though I would suspect many of those listening to this podcast well remember the World Football League. I would think so. As as far as as football history podcast folk, I think they are familiar. A lot of people probably aren't if they're just a casual football fan, just considering, you know, it lasted one full season in 74, rebooted in 75 and folded midway. So it's not like it has a this this huge legacy among modern football fans. But, you know, for guys like us, it still still resonates. And this is where, you know, you and I were talking off before we started recording, you know, we have a bit of an age gap between us. I don't remember the World Football League because I was all of seven and well, growing and up they, in Michigan. Oh, okay. Okay. What part of Michigan did you grow up in? I grew, I, I spent a few years in Brighton before my family moved back to our hometown in Chicago, hometown just south of Chicago. But you were always in the, in the neighborhood of major professional sports. So I have always been. 
Right. Yeah, it is always the Cubs. The Cubs, the Sox, the Bears have been ubiquitous throughout my entire life. Well, and that, you know, that's what was so different from people who who grew up in Alabama in the 60s, 70s or whatever. I mean, it was in terms of football, it was all college football. You know, you had Alabama or Auburn were your major college league baseball. Mm -hmm. So when the World Football League came along and considering the World Football League at least aspired to be a major league, that was huge for us. I mean, for those of us who had never been really exposed to professional football other than watching it on television, to have it in our city, that was a huge deal, especially for a kid like me. I'm 13 years old. Yeah. And going going to Legion Field on that opening night, July 10th, 1974, that was incredible. I mean, I yeah. will never I remember almost everything about that night. I'll never forget it just because it was such a huge deal. And that's what was great about and you know, but great about reading your book. Now, when I read your book, we were not friends yet. So and so we were, reading, we were brutal, we were enemies actually. Yeah, yeah. Twit twit we were Twitter frenemies, I guess. But no, that's what I loved about writing your book, because you wrote it from the fans' perspective. And you wrote it from the perspective of somebody who remembers well what it was like being that age. Yeah, kind of wanted to do it from the standpoint of, well, like you, you know, the way you've grown up with football, obviously your perspective changes over the years. I mean, when you're when you're young, you think that the players are playing for you. You're not thinking about money. You don't think of it as a business. Right. But as you get older, you kind of understand things better. So, so your perspective changes. So when I wrote this, I didn't want to write it from the standpoint of, okay, I'm now looking back with all these years of knowledge about the World Football League and the USFL and writing about it from that standpoint. I wanted to write about it as I felt it at the time. And so it obviously sort of, you know, depending on the leagues and depending on my age, it changed pretty dramatically over the years. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I mean, I've got, you know, my, as you can see, well, those of you off, you know, on, on the radio, as I like to call it, can't see my bookshelf, but I've got a, (laughs) got a, you know, a giant uh, football history bookshelf in the back, but my favorite, the books I like to read the most are, yeah, the books I, I'm sorry, it's not proper English, but the books I love the best are the ones that are written from the perspective of an author who remembers what it was like being a kid. And that's, what's great about your book. That's why I read it literally in one day. I just cannot put it down. Well, I, you know, I wanted it to be easy and I wanted it to be or, or an easy read. And, and it was for just what you said, I wanted people, whether they followed the world football league or not, even if they grew up in a city that had major league sports, I kind of wanted to maybe help them revisit that feeling. Because I, you know, I, you know, when I think about you being in Chicago, I think, my God, that's incredible. You got the Bears in football, you got the Cubs and White Sox, you got, you know, hot, you got everything. But from my standpoint, when you did get something, it was huge. Right. Because that was the only that was the only game in town. I mean, when it came to pro football in 1974, the Birmingham American for a kid living in Birmingham, Alabama, there was nothing bigger than that. I right. Mean, that was bigger than the NFL, AFL, anything I'd ever imagined. Well, that gets me into, you know, I wanted to know, I mean, because, you know, again, it's been a few months since I've read the book. I mean, it is, I'll be honest with you, and I've read so many football books since. But let me ask you, in terms of how did Birmingham itself respond to having a pro team? Well, uh, when it came to the World Football League, the first season in 74, Birmingham was all over it. I mean, in terms of attendance, the, the city really embraced it. And of course, it didn't hurt that Birmingham won their first team, first 10 games of the season. Right. Um, but 
you know, their opening night crowd, I think officially when people look back, the attendance was, I believe, officially around 45,000. But it was announced at 55,000. At the time, the stadium seated 72,000. Right. Now, Alabama had no problem selling The University of Alabama football team had no problem selling it out. But for a professional team to come along and have that many people show up on a brutally hot summer night in July, that was really impressive. But then mm-hmm. three weeks later, and that still to this day is one of the wildest crowds I've ever been a part of. I mean, everybody just completely into it. And this is the first, this is the first game with the, the, the Americans the first, playing. Yeah, the first, the first game they played, the one where they had, uh, you know, 45,000 or whatever, yeah. that was against the Southern Cal Sun, which you can see behind me. The I, I, I love Sun. that, and I love the jersey, the magenta jersey behind you. And, and I also have a – I actually have two Southern California Suns pennants. One's packed away, and the other one is up with my USFL and my World League of American football pennants. I mean, still, that the greatest uniforms in football history, magenta jerseys and orange pants. So yes. that, that's the first, you know, I mean, obviously I'm rooting for the Americans. They're wearing their home white. Right. But Southern Cal comes on the field wearing that. I thought, man, this is the most 70s thing ever. I mean, this is just fantastic. Which explains a lot why back in the 70s I became a Dolphins fan, just I think because of the color of the uniforms. For the NFL at that time, that was pretty dramatic for a team yeah. to come, you know, come out in aqua uniforms. And then the Buccaneers, I think about the time I realized pro, well, there was a thing called pro football, that's when the Bucks came out. And, those, uh, you know, to this day, you know, I love those cream skulls. Yeah, those are still maybe the sweetest NFL unis ever. Yeah. I, I love those things. <laughs> Wish they still had it. Well, speaking of the NFL, you're a Jets fan. Yeah, unfortunately. And uh, so, you know, suffering just like Bears <laughs> and Cubs fans do. <laughs> Well, and the thing is, the the one Jet Super Bowl. I, I'm a kid, you know. Yeah. It was so long ago, and you know, nothing even close to that since then. So, yeah, you just learn to to settle for less when you're a Jets fan. It, it was interesting when we had the draft down here in Chicago, because where the draft was being held for the two years it was here was literally one block from my office. So I would always just kind of watch the the Jets fans made their made their presence known and. Uh, you know, it's uh, to this day, I just anytime I just love Jets fans because it's they are the eternal optimists, but they're always getting their heart broken, much like Cub fans, too. And it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, I can relate. I can relate as a Cub fan. Fan, you have a recent World Series. You know, I mean, for, for a Jets fan, you go back to the 68 yeah. season and the 69 Super Bowl. And that's, yeah. that's a well, that was back. the week that the world slipped off its axis, too. And that's that's a whole nother subject after that. Yeah. But <laughs> Yeah, that was, as I'd say, people, when, when the Cubs won the World Series here, that was a surreal moment. I watched every pitch of every game. And you know what? Even to this day, I still get emotional about it. And, you know, the next day downtown Chicago, it was a surreal moment. People were, I mean, and it was kind of empty. It wasn't pandemic empty, but it was, a lot of people didn't make it to work the next day. And you could tell because <laughs> we were all up super late watching the game kind of sad about the Birmingham Americans because they won the one and only WFL championship which based on the way things started you know I should have been dancing in the streets but by the time we got to that point in the season even kids like me realized that the WFL was really struggling you know players Mm -hmm. weren't getting paid franchises were folding and I think there were only like 30,000 people at the championship game where they beat the Florida Blazers so that was kind of everything happened under the fog of a league that was about to collapse. 
and you know with so much enthusiasm that it started with which i right. obviously mentioned in the book by the time you reached the finish line of the first season you sort of you became this might not be as not that you would ever use the term financially solvent when you're 13 right but you realize that the wfl was not financially solvent you know right, right. yeah well uh, well and that kind of gets me you know you know, talking about pro football in Birmingham. So you had, you had the Americans and the Vulcans just, you know, fizzle out. And then you didn't really have anything until the, to the eighties when the stallions came to town. So now the stallions are the whole USFL. And it's one of those, those topics when we talk about failed leagues and what it could have should us. I mean, I think you and I both know that the USFL could have succeeded, but for, factors outside the control of the players and even well we can blame the owners we will blame the owners on that but in terms of the the amount of money that i mean they moved to this we, we well know they moved to the fall they, they shot themselves in the foot but there was support for usfl teams and in birmingham i never got the sense that nobody came out to the games at least when i would watch you know watching old youtube stuff you know youtube games i have always sensed that there was support in birmingham you know for the stallions you know, for the most part, their wise, it was their their first game was against the Michigan Panthers. And it was on a, a Monday night. Uh, it was kind of rainy. And there was just a little over 30,000 fans there. So that, you know, when you look back at the way the Birmingham Americans drew, you know, that wasn't really that great. And I'm thinking, eh, maybe, right. you know, Birmingham doesn't quite have the football fever that they once did. But Stallion's attendance was all over the map. If you take all three seasons and combine it, it was pretty good, but, you know, there were nights when they'd have 40 or 50,000. There were times when they would have 10 or 12,000. And by the time they got to their very, what turned out to be their very last game, right. they played the Baltimore Stars in the, uh, the semifinal yeah. of the game. Now, yeah, it's 311 degrees at a Legion field, you know, on a, on a you know, July right. afternoon or whatever. Right. But even so, you know, people who – who love their sports, you know, they're not going to let the weather get in the way. So it was kind of, it really was sort of all over the map as okay. far as attendance. But, right. you know, th that was clearly, I think, the most talented and best football franchise Birmingham ever had. I mean, the stadiums were really, really good, yeah. especially their third year. Yeah. I know I've, I, you know, I, you know, you and I've talked, you know, I'm a big simulation football guy. So I have all those seasons of the USFL on disc and I'm able to simulate out seasons and the stallions are always, they're competitive. Every, every time I hit click and go simulate, simulate the seasons, the stallions are right there. You know, they usually, sometimes they miss the playoffs. Sometimes they don't, but they were always competitive. Yeah. Their first season, they were, they were basically a 500 team and they were a playoff yeah. team the second year. And then the third year, they were probably maybe the third best team in the league behind Baltimore and Oakland, you know, oh, so okay. I believe, I believe Oakland was the, the other really good team in, in 85, but yeah. 80, yeah. Cause it was 85. It was the stars and the invaders and in that, that very last game. Uh, and that was sad because I kind of knew, even though at that, even though when the 85 season ended and they were going to take off, you know, they were going to come back in the fall right. of 86. I was kind of a big boy by then. You yeah. Know? I mean, I was in my twenties and I sort of knew. Yeah. Now it's, it's, di it's different for me with the USFL. When the USFL started, I was 15 and I lived out in the country and we had an, you know, we didn't have cable. We had an aerial. So, I mean, it was on ABC and that was it. And I was excited for it starting and I watched the first few games, but then as you know, as 
you're a kid, you lose, you know, you kind of lose interest after a while, even though it's in the background and you still are, you know, tuned into it. But then I started, you know, the next season, I was 16 year old, you know, working all my weekends. So it wasn't until everything went to YouTube that I was able to been able to watch stuff that I wish I would have watched back then. Right. And um, though it is beautiful about YouTube, we can we can hear Howard Cosell's voice. Well, the thing is, I mean, you can you can really just travel back in time. I mean, you can watch an entire whether you know whether it's you know I've watched Super Bowl three many yeah. many times on YouTube, but yeah, I've watched a lot of old C you know when CFL in America the CFL was in America right and the Barracudas I've seen Barracudas games on YouTube so it's yeah. I mean it's well, a great yeah. And that, you know, talking about the Barracudas, so the Stallions fold up and leave. The next big team that comes through Birmingham is the Barracudas, which is well, an aptly, aptly named team. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was saying before the Barracudas, it was the World League of American Football. Oh, that's right. That's team. right. Yeah. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead here. No, 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 that's fine because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm more of a CFL guy anyway. And, and yeah. in the World League, the Birmingham team in the World League, I just, you know, the league itself was fine, but the Birmingham team, they were kind of boring. I mean, they had a, they had a decent defense, but God, they were hard to watch. So that was one of those teams that just, you know, by then after having my heart broken by the Americans, yeah. Vulcans, and Stallions, by the time the fire came and went, you know, I mean, I hated it for any players, coaches, or right. support personnel to lose their job, just as right. I always would. But as far as you, you got you broke up there at the okay. at the end there. We, we oh, I, no, I'm sorry. Have you okay. got me back here? Yeah, I got you back. So you were saying about the Birmingham when the the Stallions left, or oh, not yeah. the Stallions when the um when the Riders? Well, it was the Birmingham Fire, and when they. Yeah. Yeah, when they went out of business, it, you know, from a fan standpoint, that didn't bother me that much. Right. You know, back, back when the when the World League rebooted and then eventually changed into NFL Europe and NFL yeah. Europa, it was a little more interesting then because it was it was just a different vibe at that point. Right. I, I, I remember. Know. And again, I was I was, you know, for whatever reason, I was thinking writers. But of course, I'm thinking CFL San Antonio and. We're talking CFL, so the riders get thrown around a lot. I I, I apologize. Yeah, there was the San that. Antonio riders in yeah. the World League, so you know. But when the World League, when that league started, I was what I think I was in grad school. Yeah, I was in grad school, so I caught the very beginning. And the thing was, I remember with that league, it's just like you said, there wasn't and like eh, there wasn't the, the, the nobody was into it. It wasn't nobody was excited for it like they were the USFL, even though they had the big TV contract and everything. It was just there was no excitement that went along with it at least on the tv no and and i think you know I, I mean i can't speak for any fan other than me but again the world football league whether they were or whether they weren't they aspired to be major league right. same is true with the usfl and if you look at, at some of the guys that they signed and guys who are currently in the pro football hall of fame they were pretty close to major league yeah. but then when you got to the world league of american football it was a developmental league for the NFL, that's right. what it was designed for. And you knew you were getting minor league football, too. Exactly, exactly. And they could they could call it whatever they wanted to, it, you know, as being a major minor right. league, and that's fine. But we're not good enough to play in the NFL, at least yet. Right. And so the NFL formed a league to try to develop them, which was great. Mm -hmm. But still, it's yeah. not what you were getting with the World League. Right, right. Well, and then so when the World League up in, you know, I mean, it was only around for, what, two seasons? Yeah, two seasons in North America, and then and it then took they, a year off, and then yeah. regrouped in Europe. So when when the Barracudas came a couple of years later, did people in Birmingham kind of look at it the same way, like this is minor league football? Well, see, that's what's weird because I was probably the happiest sports writer in the state of Alabama that we were getting a CFL team mm -hmm. because I guess I refused to look at the 
happening in terms of some of the American franchises other than, than Baltimore. Yeah. But I just assumed, considering since this, this would finally be the one team in Birmingham, the one professional football team that was going to last. So I was absolutely pumped. Yeah. As a sports writer, I could really be a fan. But on my own time, I was a huge fan. And I was hoping that people in Birmingham would really respond to it. And their first home game was against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, which has always been my favorite CFL team, except for that season. Right. So I'm thrilled. I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm, you know, I finally get to see the Hamilton Tiger Cats playing my Birmingham Barracudas. Mm-hmm. And there were, I think, 38,000 people at that game. And I thought, well, this is good. This is a, a super start for this league. And, you know, hopefully it'll, you know, they'll take off and, and the fans will support them. But every game got worse to the point where they were literally towards the end of the season down to two and 3,000 fans. Wow. Wow. Now, with the stadium, did they have did they have to make adjustments for an American field? Yeah, they did. I mean, it, their end zones couldn't be completely 20 yards deep. And I think they might have also had some issues with uh, with the width. But, you know, it was kind of like how Major League Baseball has the different, you know, uh, right. field yeah. dimensions. That's sort of what they had to deal with with some of the American teams. And, and Birmingham was one of those teams. Okay. But, to me, that was kind of charming. I thought, oh, well, that's okay. You know, yeah. I don't mind an 18-yard end zone. I mean, that, that's <laughs> fine. But but obviously, the fans here, you know, once college football season started, they just went away in droves. And, and the thing is, Birmingham, unlike a lot of CFL teams, played a lot of their games on Sunday, which I thought originally was a smart move because you're not competing with college. But what I didn't realize was that there were so many people who would just rather stay home and watch the NFL – to come out to Legion Field and watch the CFL. Right. So, did weather? Nothing- did, yeah. And did weather play a factor in the CFL attendance? You think? I mean, I mean, I've been down in the South and during that time of year in full pads and, and helmets. So, I mean, you know, when I was getting ready to deploy to, to, to Iraq, so that's kind of my. So yeah, I'm like, I, I know what that heat feels like. So you no know heat, absolutely. Yeah. No, I don't think it made any difference. I mean, yeah, when they started, it was in the summer and they played, right. you know, games at night. And it wasn't pleasant, but, you know, then again, the World Football League, you know, first season, they started in July. And the right. thing is, the CFL team, by the time their season ended, it was during traditional football right. season. So it was it was weather everyone was used to, but they right. just they just didn't care. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Just not enough people cared about the, the Barracudas. You know, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you. So it sounds to me like the media and fans just, there was no interest. Yeah, there, there really was. And I was, you know, I think I was one of the last people thinking, gee, I really hope this lasts, you know, as you look around and there's people at a 80,000 seat stadium. I yeah. Mean, it was just, it was pretty sad. But I think, you know, if you, if you, they were the only, American-based CFL team that was that had a real legitimate following. Everything else, right. I think, all the other franchises were pretty much just right. you know, grasping at straws. Well, everything and everything I've read and everything I know, I mean, Baltimore was the uh, the exception to you know. It seems like every rule in football, there's the Baltimore exception, and you know, for the CFL, I mean, Baltimore, you know, we all know how that all ended with everybody, you know, the Browns moving out to Baltimore and you know, but let me ask you in terms of just, uh, could the CFL have worked down there if given a couple more years, you think? I really don't. I mean, I, you know, when he bucks a ticket, you know, right. I can't buy tickets for 70,000 people. I just, I don't know. I think maybe, you know, whereas you're a guy and I'm a guy where we like the three downs, we right. like 
12 to a side and the longer, wider, faster and all right. that kind of stuff. I don't know. I just, you know, maybe now, I mean, that's been what, 25 years or whatever. Yeah, it's 25 it, years this year. It just yeah. seems like Our that blaster. brand of football, you know, it just seems like that brand of football just, I just don't think enough people down here cared. So, so when the XFL came to town, did anybody, what, what was, what was the reaction for the XFL coming to town? Was it, was there, was there a buzz that wasn't artificially generated? I think there was originally a pretty good buzz simply because, you know, Vince McMahon had already established himself as, as, you know, he's a big wrestling guy, but I mean, he was already a media mogul and he had built a very successful empire. Yeah. And I think people thought, okay, well, he can probably considering his, um, you know, his talent in terms of marketing or whatever, he can probably do the same thing here. So when they came, I mean, I knew just based on when they mentioned what the salaries were going to be and everything else, it was still going to be at best AAA football. But I thought, okay, you know, if he markets it right because he's going to do all this cool in-game stuff, you know, maybe this will be a product worth watching. Right. Um, and attendance was decent at the well, start that's, you of know, the Birmingham and, Bowl. And that was actually one of my questions as I was sitting here kind of formulating things. Because if you watch the YouTube clips of the XFL, you watch the games, you don't see crowd shots. Well, and what's funny is there, there were places, I think Chicago, oddly enough, drew pretty well. And San Francisco drew pretty well. Um, I, I got to go back and watch those I, games. You know, I'm mean, not talking 70,000, but I mean, right. just, just for what it was, it drew pretty yeah. well. But Birmingham and a lot finished the season on a seven-game losing streak. And I think by the end of the year, I should know this because I'm pretty sure I put it in the book, but they were either last or next to last in XFL attendance. Oh, People wow. just kind of bailed on it because they, you know, again, they were just getting getting hammered every game and wow. they just weren't fun to watch. Wow. And so when the iron came to town after that, was the iron kind of in the same boat before they just kind of up and fizzled away too? or uh, You know, that was – that was yet again, I'm excited because I'd been away from Birmingham for a while and I'd already, you know, started my website and kind of gotten into alternative football. Right. Thought, Ooh, this is kind of neat. Yeah. And I already started the process of writing my book when the right. iron came to town. So I went to their opening game at Legion field and covered it and even went to Atlanta. When oh, their attendance was, was pretty poor, but in the defense of that, you'd mentioned weather earlier, weather mm-hmm. was horrible. Yeah. There were a couple of games where there were tornado warnings. Yeah, uh, I do. Vague, now I think about it, I kind of vaguely remember that because when the, the leak started up, I was, I was for, for military, I was down in the, I was down in Arizona. So I was able to, you know, catch a few hotshot games on the TV. And I remember them talking about weather and stuff like that. Yeah, Mother Nature did the iron no favors whatsoever. So, that yeah. I mean, had they had nicer weather, the attendance would have been a little bit better. But they right. never – I don't think it was ever a situation where they just captured the imagination of the city. Certainly nothing like the Americans, Balkans, or Stallions. Nothing like that. Okay. Well, and so, you know, kind of tying it all together, and, you know, we are a, a Canadian-slash-American football podcast – so we got we got we got a little drama going on with the CFL and and with the XFL or as I like to as I termed it on the turf district a few weeks ago uh, a league with logos and a business plan. So do you think after, I mean because you were you're the only one of the few people that I know of that has covered both the CFL and XFL and seen. I mean, seen all this up close. So with what you know, supposedly on eight. 
this week, we're going to find something, you know, supposedly something's going to be said about this quote unquote alliance merger. Who knows what it's going to be? Do you think there's hope for the CFL and the XFL at this point? Given the history that we, that we know about football, that's not NFL and not specifically CFL. Okay. Now are, are, are you asking, is there hope for if they merge, if it becomes yeah. a viable league, Ugh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I really don't because if there is some sort of merger and if they adopt the four down, the four down game, right. Then there is no more Canadian football. Right. I mean, I'm sorry. There's right. just not there. They're a franchise. They'll, they'll still be the Toronto Argonauts and, or I guess, or, or whatever, but the CFL would be gone. Right. And, I, yeah. you know, I just – I don't know. It's still hard for me to wrap my brain around what they're trying – I mean, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to get up enough money to where they can survive. Right. And, you know, I think CFL's first problem is to try to get – they go two straight years and don't have a season, then you probably don't have a CFL anymore. I mean, I yeah. don't know. And but, I'm, but I'm, I'm on – yeah, I'm on the same page with you. You know, I, I think the, the CFL, I think the, I think they got to keep the three-down football. I mean, I think that's kind of – how you, at least in my opinion, you know, we've, you and I have both heard the saying, you know, Canadians, they don't like America. They don't like Canadian football. They'd rather have four down football. They watch the NFL, but you know, with that said, you know, college football ratings up there are not up. I mean, NFL interest is way up, but there's different, there's so much that account. There's, there's so many different variables that go into a lot of things, but we know from watching the TV that people aren't going to CFL games. And, you know, we know for a fact that they're losing money. I mean, it is a, you know, it's a great product, but from my perspective, and I know from your perspective, it's just not marketed well. Yeah. And that's the thing we can't, and, and you, you're exactly right. I mean, we can't, I mean, I don't know what you have to do to get people in the stands or what you have to do to change the game. Because, it, you know, I think a lot of times when people talk about these leagues and what you have to do in terms of marketing, you're probably thinking more in terms of young people, right. even though I'm not a young person, I like to think I'm young at heart and sort of, you know, yeah. know what they like. And I'm just not sure that there's this vast number of young people now who are really interested enough to make a difference. I mean, yeah, you got the rock and that's all great and wonderful. And you got Redbird Capital and, and Danny Garcia and there's intelligence and money and everything you could possibly need. But you sink all that money into it. And Vince McMahon sucked a lot of money in the XFL too. This was never really that good. And I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't know. I apologize, but we lost you there for a little bit with the connection. No, it's okay. Yeah. I was saying some beautiful stuff too. That's going to be hard to to repeat. Yeah. Where, where did we leave off? I I was rambling. I was getting all emotional. That's okay. CFL. Uh, No, I'm talking about Vince McMahon. Yeah. No, I mean, just the league in, in general. I mean, People can have money and people can market, but I just don't know if there's some magic formula to make enough people care to make these businesses succeed. Because the thing is, you wouldn't have the NFL if at some point they didn't start making money, you know, and and that's the whole deal. Whether you have the XFL, the CFL or a combination, if you go three, four, five years and you're just losing money, no matter what you're doing marketing wise, it's, you know, it's going to die. People are going to start spending their money on something they can make money on. And I, I just don't know. I just don't know if there's a market anymore for spring football enough to keep it viable. You know, well, I mean, know. could they go, you know, I mean, even, you know, I mean, the season wise, 
you know, and you and I both know it's everybody's talking about, well, they can't start in the spring in Canada. Well, there's a way to work that out in terms of Canadians. They even, you know, a couple podcasts I was listening to were saying, well, training camps, oh, you can move your training camps down south. And much like back when we were kids growing up, when you know, a lot of team, a lot of NFL teams shared baseball stadiums and they couldn't play in those baseball stadiums till after October. Right. So, I mean, there's there's that option that the Canadian teams start their season down south. And then, of course, all the American teams later in the summer, you know, instead of playing in the dead of in, in, in the in the in the heat of Arizona or the heat of Birmingham or the in the heat of Atlanta, Orlando, they play, you know, the late the later games during the season up north. I mean, there's that option. Yeah, but I agree. I agree with you in terms of I don't know if there is a market for spring football. I mean, we've you know the history uh, of it shows that it hasn't worked so far. Even the la- even the last version of the XFL, which was until every until until the zombie until we started running from zombies a year ago, and the AAF. I mean, it was funny with the AAF. My nephew, he's like, "Hey, I'm into this AAF thing." Or he goes, "Are you?" I go, "No, I'm not emotionally invested because I've seen how this is going to play. I know how this yeah. is going to play out. I know how this movie ends." Yeah. <laughs> And I, it ended a lot sooner than I thought it was going to end. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, I agree there with you. I think, you know, and again, when this podcast comes out, it'll be after what comes out with the CFL, that announcement with the Board of Governors. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think we're going to know any more than we, what we know already right now. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this week they're just going to discuss the immediacy of, of this season. You know, yeah. when can they start it? Are they going to start it? And that sort right. of thing. And it, yeah. But as far as some sort of combined league, I mean, uh, yeah, you know, at first, I, I think you and I have talked about this just, you know, just as friends. At first, I kind of dismissed the whole concept of a merger. I thought they were just going to do some some resource sharing. But, you know, when I listen to people supposedly in the know, and I'm not one of those people, so I try to listen to people who are close to the situation, it certainly does sound like that the major powers that be are, you know, are shooting for a merger. but and you can see why they would. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, from, from business standpoint, you got to do something to stay in business. Yeah. But just as a guy who loves this. And then if that combined league folds, that's it. CFL is gone. You know, see it. Well, CFL will be gone anyway, if they combine leagues. But whereas unlike in, in the mid nineties, when the American franchises folded, you still had a CFL. Yeah. This time, you know, all the cards fall down. I mean, there's nothing right. left. Well, in the pandemic, I mean, you and I both know that there that's always been financially a risky move with the, the CFL. I mean, I would watch TV and going, where are the people? Where are the people? And, you know, you know, the Twitter, you know, it's it's easy to get wrapped up on what people say in Twitter. But Which you know, is you, not real life. I mean, we love no, Twitter. Not Twitter's not real life. Not so. at all. But it gives you perspective. And especially yeah. you and I, I mean, we, you know, we don't, we're not Canadians. So we have a different perspective on, on what on what the CFL is and what the problems are. And, you know, but we look at it obviously from the American perspective going, and it's easy, I think at us, for us at times, I mean, we grew, we grew up in, I mean, you and I, I mean, I grew up in an area where, you know, we've got, I live in an area that's as big as Toronto. So I look at say the Argonauts going, how can they not, uh, I don't get why nobody's going to Argos games because I know, you know, Chicago and Toronto, they have stadiums by the lake kind of look at the bears and I know the history of the Argonauts. I mean that, you know, back in the seventies, you know, back in the sixties and seventies and eighties, people were going to the games and it just, it makes you wonder, well, why the teams didn't get bad. I mean, 
you know, the teams, you know, it, it, it's not like they were the Expos, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, you know, and when you think about it, you know, the NFL's at 32 teams. Say they expand to 36 and three of those cities are Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal. Can you imagine the fan base then? Yeah, you well, it's, it, it's game and, over for the CFL. Right, Though right. I, I do think you could put the NFL and Winnipeg and Saskatchewan, Edmonton. But again, that, it, it just surprises me a little bit. I mean, you know, for a while, the NFL said they were going to stop at 28. And then when they got to 32, they're going to stop at 32. Yeah. But now they're still dangling that London carrot that they may put a franchise yeah. there, which would be the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. But I think they're going to get to 36 teams. I think you know, so. I, I think so, too, especially in our lifetime. But, you know, talking about, you know, the Canadian cities, you know, that would lose out, Edmonton, Saskatchewan, and Winnipeg, and, you know, even Ottawa and Ham- – I mean, they – well, Ottawa, Hamilton's right next to Buffalo, so that's kind of out right there. But, you know, those are cities that could support an NFL franchise. All three – I mean – oh, and Calgary, too. I'll throw, I, got, I forgot to throw Calgary in. I mean, they could all easily support – you know, the, prob- the problem is, is stadiums. And yeah. we know moving forward after all this is – said and done government supported stadiums are not going to fly anymore no no that ship has sailed and sunk yeah um but you know me just just as a as a cfl guy and, and you're exactly right I'm, I'm not from canada but i'm one of those people that i like the fact that they have a ratio i like the fact that there's a league for canadian players yeah you know to shine in and it would just uh and i think we've discussed this before as well I almost look at the CFL. I mean, I love it. It's my favorite brand of tackle football. Yeah, but that here. being said, I almost look at it as a different sport. And, you know, yeah. you were talking about how do you market it? And that's kind of the way I think of it. Because, sure, I, you know, I root for the Jets and the NFL. And the, yeah. It's just, it's a different sport. It's a totally different thing than the NFL. And it's, I wish there could be some balance where, where the people who aren't showing up in Canada especially since the games are on Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. They're really not, you know, competing with most of the right. NFL games. Yeah. Could, you know, could support their league and still enjoy the NFL. But. Uh, uh, you know, what I love about the Canadian league is it's Canadian. It is, you know, it, like, I, you know, I, I love the Canadian spirit. I love the Canadian, I love Canadian patriotism. And so when I watch, I mean, for me, pro sports, I've always loved the Canadian teams in all pro sports. I mean, my most memorable Cubs game was a game against the Expos. And I wanted my dad to take me there because I wanted to hear the Canadian anthem. And uh, as luck would turn out, it was also one of Pete Rose's last games as a player (laughs) before he went to manage the Reds. And uh, yeah, that was a memorable moment too, seeing him hit a line drive off of Lee Smith, Lee Smith catch, you know, Ryan Sedenberg catching the ball and going, Oh my God, it was a great play. And then seeing it 30 plus years later on a replay on TV and telling my wife, I was at that game. So anyway, I digress. <laughs> but yeah, I've always, but yeah, the, the CFL, I like the CFL because it's Canadian, you know, yeah, I mean, and I know the just... ratio has gotten to the point where there's less and less Canadian players, but you know, to me, I want to see more Canadian players. I want to hear more about U sports. You don't hear about U sports. I would watch U sports if it were available. I'd watch right. Canadian college football. Same here. I mean, I, you know, I would be perfectly happy if you had, you know, as far as the nine CFL franchises, you had nine you know, starting quarterbacks who, who came from, you know, I mean, but, you know, again, it's easy for us to sit here and, you know, and and wish things would be a certain way, but I mean, that's where business comes in. That's why, that's why, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. 
that's why and that's where that's where that's where zoom left us off at you know I, that's why i didn't major in business because yeah. i'm just no good at it well i don't know you know i'm like you it's like you know people ask me my opinion i'm like well you know i'm i you know i'm i'm I grew up in, you know, I've worked in government all my life. So it's like, well, you know, but I, but the one thing we do know is what people like, you know, and again, going back to talking about marketing to the younger kids. And I have said this time, I mean, how many times on my, you know, and how many times on Twitter have you heard me say on CFL America, you know, what about a video game? What about a video game? Now the video game, and with all due respect to what I've seen out there in terms of a Canadian football game, they tried hard. However, it ain't mad. And if you're going to market your product, you better have a man type game, much like you got FIFA, you got the FIFA game, you got the NBA 2K, you know, my uh, video game collection is littered with different versions of man because it's, you know, but we, you know, so maybe that's, what's going to, maybe that, maybe that's what's in the works. We're going to have a a CFL XFL video game because I would play that. Yeah. I mean, whatever they can try, I'm all for, you know, again, I, if world, and I'm working on a column about this, but in, in a perfect world, the CFL would succeed, the XFL would succeed. And, you know, if they wanted to have some sort of like player loan situation, that would be great. Right. But they would still kind of do their own thing. You know, the CFL would maintain its tradition and its gameplay. The XFL would continue to be innovative with their game gameplay, but who knows? I mean, well, it, and again, it, you know, kind of the way that uh, the American football league and the NFL and the NFL ideally we wish that's how the merger could have been looking back on it. You know, yeah, everybody that, kept, you know, and everybody kept how, their own identity. Well, see, that's, that shows you how old uh, or how old a guy I am, because I remember the AFL versus the NFL and it was kind of heartbreaking to me when they merged right. just because I love the AFL. Right. I love the mud and the dirt and playing on the and I missed that. And, I missed uh, all of that. So uh, I missed all that as a kid, though. It is funny when we, you know, talking to, you know, talking to people younger than us and there are a lot of, there are more of them now than there used to be. But I always have to remind people, you have to understand, I'm looking at this, the point of view as somebody who was born when there were 14 NFL teams and Lombardi coached the Packers. Now that's really stretching it quite a bit because, but it's true. I mean, we, you know, we have that perspective that, you know, but again, with that said, you know, it's, it's about attracting the younger kids. So if, right. you know, we, we're watching a league kind of, you know, you're watching you know, the stands and going, where are all the people? And every year it just seems less and less, you know, they're not marketing it because, and then here, and then all of a sudden a pandemic, here we are. And, so. and the CFL has no, I mean, and you and I have been following this real close since the pandemic started. Don't sound like they got a game plan and whatever game plan they may have, you know, it's much like when we invaded Iraq, we had a great invasion plan, but nobody, had any plans for what happens afterwards and i kind of think that's where i don't even think we're there yet with the cfl they had no plans for the pandemic but once the pandemic hit they just like well we we don't know what's going to happen yeah that was uh obviously frustrating on a lot of levels but yeah you're right it was almost like by the time you know it's like they just waited everything out and by the time you wait everything out seasons you know there's you can't play a season now it's i made i made the suggestion on twitter and like some people shouted me down nobody really i don't remember but way back when, I'm like, well, why don't you know? Why don't all the CFL teams just bring in all the Canadian players and let's let let these guys try out for a year? Let it be a year of Canadian players. You know, I mean, I, you know, it's, I don't think us as Americans are are that. It's great that we have Americans play up there, but I would like to see Canadian talent. And if that would, if, I don't know. Uh, well, I don't know. 
Well, the main thing is I just want him to have a C. I just want the CFL to have some kind of season this year, whether right. it's a full 18 yeah. game regular season or truncated or whatever. Right. I just want to see him play and see what happens. Yeah. Well, with that said, I mean, you know, as we wrap up the podcast here, the next, hopefully, as we uh, as we move along into our next podcast, hopefully we'll get an idea of where we're at. But, you know, so our, for our next podcast, you and I do not know what it's going to be about, but it's going yeah. to be on a topic that's pertinent to both Canadian and American football. You know, in terms of how we're going to do this show, we're going to talk, talk to authors and a lot of different topics, but we are mainly a historical, uh, we, you know, we touch on history. And that's the nice thing about this podcast is, we can talk about history, but also at the same time, talk about what's currently going on. Because as my old college uh, roommate, his father, who was a professor, said, hey, it was who father was a history professor, you can't figure out the future unless you know where you came from. Absolutely. And that's what that's what I'm really interested in is hearing the perspective of other, you know, football historians. I mean, because right. we all, you know, even those of us who came from the same era have different perspectives. Right. I just enjoy hearing that. Right. And, uh, well, and that's why, you know, I mean, we, we hooked up with, we hooked up with Arnie Chapman and the Sports History Network and, and here we are. So just as we close out here, just, you know, I want, again, I want to say special thanks again to George Washington at voevolution.com. And I can't thank George enough for his intro that he, that he, that he made for us and for the help I know he's going to give us in the future. Voices, seriously, one of the absolute great voices. I asked, I, I said, George, I want something that is very John Facenda-like. And not only did he deliver, but he spiked the ball after he, after he delivered. He did a, a bang-up job on it. And well, I'm still getting messages from, from, from guys on our network going, oh, my God, that's great. That's awesome. So... Well, I, I would expect nothing less from the Green Lantern. I mean, let's yeah, be honest. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, talking about the Sports History Network, just a reminder to everybody to check out, you know, check out all the, the podcasts in the Sports History Network. We've got on the Sports History Network, Pigskin Dis- Dispatch. When, another, another, and Pigskin Dispatch is great because every day there's a new history lesson. Unlike us, we come out when, when job and, and time, you know, jobs allow. But Pigskin Dispatch comes out every day, new history lesson on pro football. I learn something new every day, and I'm like, wow, I did not know that. Then we have when football was football with a good friend of mine, Joe Zimba. And I've known Joe for several years, and he wrote the definitive book on the Chicago Cardinals. Uh, we've got Pigskin Pass with uh, Joe Zagorski. we got Lombardi Memories. And we also have Arnie's show, The Football History Dude. And... The football family, uh, I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> reading my notes here. Football is family. We've got so many podcasts that it's just, I've got to write them all down. Otherwise, I'll forget. Football is family, uh, the football odyssey. And lastly, in terms of football history, Oz Davis hosts the Goats and Historically Speaking. And uh, if you've not listened to any of those, I would recommend that you give them all a try. And uh, for Scott and, I, Scott and myself, thanks for listening. And uh Check us out, Scott. Let everybody know where you're at on on, uh, on the tw- on the Twitter and the, on, on the interwebs. Yep, just uh, you just look up Scott Adamson, and that's my. Oh, I'm lo- I'm losing you here a little bit. Well, I will speak for Scott because we're having technical difficulties, as you can hear. Scott Adamson is available at uh, AdamsonMedia.com and at Adamson Adamson SL at Twitter on Twitter. And you can read, well, you actually can find both of us 
if you go to uh, cfl-radio.us, that will get you to our website on the Sports History Network. And you can find me at CFL America. And Scott, did I miss anything? No, I believe you covered it all, my friend. All right. Well, for Scott and myself, thanks for listening. And, you know, hope to, hear, hope to be uh, podcasting here real soon. Bye. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. We'll kick off for victory. Cheer them on to the great of March. Lusty men of energy down the field on the great of March. They'll kick off for victory as we cheer to the great of March. Leading grit teams you will see down the field on the great of March. Onward, men, you're here to play the greatest game of all. We will back you all the way. Go and win that ball. sports history fan this is arnie chapman aka the football history dude and i wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the sports history network our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear and if you didn't know it already we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics in fact here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com 
forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.